This podcast contains adult language and subject matter. Here comes Hextall. And Potvin and Hextall are going to go. I know Felix doesn't think this is a good idea. What is this all about? But Felix is doing all right against the bigger Hextall. Good grief. Leave your mask on, you goalies. Leave the mask on. Now Felix has got Hextall with his shirt half off. Heavyweight fight last night does to the mentality of these hockey players. Ron Hextall was a man of many talents in the crease. Over 11 seasons for the Philadelphia Flyers, as well as one each for the Quebec Nordiques and New York Islanders, he entertained with a one-of-a-kind skill set, handling the puck far better than his peers and rarely shying away from a physical confrontation. Among goalies, Hextall ranks first in career penalty minutes with 569 and eighth in points scored with 33, despite appearing in only 608 games, which ranks 49th all-time. Oh, and he also managed to fulfill his primary duty of stopping the puck at a high rate. Hextall was fierce and inventive. He was the ultimate disruptor. I'm John Mattis, and this is When Goalies Were Weird, a narrative podcast from The Score. Each episode tells the story of one unforgettable 1990s-era goalie. In the 90s, there was no more fascinating position in all of professional sports than the hockey goalie. These goalies were just plain weird. They played weird, with weird hybrid styles and funky mechanics. They looked weird and acted weird, with weird helmets, superstitions, and bad tempers. The position was undergoing a revolution in style and substance, as the butterfly goalie replaced the stand-up while advancements in equipment technology helped usher in a modernized, more athletic playing style. The old guard's quirks and the new guard's innovations melded together to produce an era of pure chaos in the blue paint. It was the most bewildering amalgamation of players hockey has ever produced, and one fans will never forget. Ron Hextall authored one of the most exceptional rookie seasons in NHL history. The tall, mustachioed 22-year-old burst onto the scene, stayed hot, and then bolstered his standing in the spring when rookies tend to fade into the background. In 1986-87, a season in which the league average save percentage was 880, Hextall posted a 902 in 66 games. He finished with 37 wins, six more than any other goalie. These results earned Hextall the Vesna Trophy, and if not for Luke Robitaille's 84-point season for the LA Kings, he would have also scooped up the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year. In the playoffs, the Flyers took the dynastic Edmonton Oilers to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Hextall claimed the Conn Smythe in a losing effort, a super-rare feat. Glenn Chico Resch had a front-row seat for Hextall's run. As Philly's veteran backup, Rush watched in awe as an athletic and analytical young man seized the moment. Generally, you don't know maybe why a goalie is good or special, better than another guy, but you know when a goalie's on. And when a goalie's on and he's good, you say, oh, it's going to be tough for the other team to get more than one. Uh, and I think that was it with Hexy. 
when he was on, you just said, hey, the chances of them scoring two goals are not very high here. And I think that's what I remember the most. When he was at the top of his game, he could generally that year at least always outduel and beat the goalie at the other end. Hextall's rookie year was extraordinary for a secondary reason. He was assessed three temminent misconducts, one major for slashing, one double minor for roughing, and an additional 25 minors for infractions like slashing, high-sticking, roughing, and elbowing. With 89 total penalty minutes, Hextall set a single-season record for goalies, crushing Jerry Cheever's 62 penalty minutes in 1979-80. It was the steady dose of misbehavior, not Hextall's save-making win total or trophies, that defined the rest of his career for the public. Hextall could be villainous. He would routinely whack shins, deliver legitimate body checks in the corner, chase opponents celebrating a goal he wanted back, throw down in heavyweight fights, engage in shouting matches with opposing coaches. He caused mayhem on the regular. That was Joe Ricci. Now Hextall, <laughs> it took 14 minutes and 29 seconds. Up here comes Ole Kolzik, so he's out of it. He's going to get an automatic penalty for leaving the crease. Hexy's done that before, hasn't he? <laughs> no goalie since Hextall has come remotely close to combining high-end puck stopping and puck moving with consistent physicality and pugnacity. Incredibly, he accrued a whopping 113 penalty minutes in 88-89, which, unsurprisingly, remains a record for goalies. Of the nine other netminders who complete the top ten list of most career penalty minutes by a goalie, six were Hextall's peers. Tom Barrasso, Ed Belfour, and four other guys whose careers started in the 80s and covered the entirety of the 90s. So was some of this extracurricular stuff a reflection of the era? Sure. But, even for an NHLer whose career spanned from 86 to 99, Hextall operated differently than his contemporaries. He took matters into his own hands, as if he was an enforcer. I asked Hextall if he actually viewed himself that way. Well, I certainly didn't think of myself as a tough guy, or for that matter, an enforcer. But, I don't know, you play in a team and you always feel like your teammates, they protect you and you protect them. That's just a, that's a mentality, and sometimes if... Uh, the other team had their goalie pulled and it was six on five in a scrum. Well, you know what? You got to make it six on six. I always felt an obligation, but I think that's most most teammates do. Officially, Hextall is credited with five NHL fights, two against goalies Felix Podvin and Elaine Chevrier, and three against skaters Jeff Jackson, Rob Pearson, and Chris Chelios. The 1996 bout with Podvin is arguably the greatest goalie fight of all time while the 1989 tussle with Chelios is probably the altercation Hextall's best known for overall. On that May night in 89, Hextall charged at Chelios deep in Philly's zone a few beats after the whistle had been blown on an offside. He then struck the Montreal Canadiens defenseman with his stick and blocker, eliciting a melee that had been brewing all series. It was Game 6 of the Prince of Wales Conference Final, and in Game 1, Chelios had concussed a flyer with an elbow to the head. With the Habs leading 3-2 in the series and 4-2 in the third period, Hextall finally had an opening for revenge. And he went nuclear. Out of the penalty box comes Sutter, offside against the Canadians. And now Hextall goes barreling out at one of the Canadians, Chris hitting Chelios. high and hard. He wanted Chris Chelios as soon as Chelios came across the blue line. 
And that has to be that big mark that we talked about that's still riding on Chris Gellios' shirt from that hit on Brian Propp in Game 1. Soon enough, he was throwing his blocker at Chelios while pushing away a linesman. Defenseman Mark Howe laughs now at the irony of Philly head coach Paul Holmgren lecturing his players about keeping their cool right before the infamous incident. Homer had a timeout. He calls us to the bench, and the game was starting to get a little ugly. We were getting ready to pull the goal, but we needed the goal. Homer said, look, let's try and win the faceoff. Let's see if we can get one. If we do that, we can you know, get a chance to get in this game. But he goes, look, if we're going down, we're going down with pride and dignity. And so we go down the ice. We took the face off. They went it. They throw it down. I have no idea how Chelios got down in our corner. Well, there's Chelios. And then I, at the last second, I, and I'm racing trying to get there. And I look out of the corner of my eye and I see this jersey. I said, who that? I said, oh, my God, it's Hexy pounding away at him and stuff. And that was his uh, Gordie Howe move of retribution. And when the whole scrum ended, I, in my head, I said, somebody forgot to tell Hexy the game plan. His Gordie Howe move of retribution. That phrasing is the essence of Hextall's violence, according to not only Mark Howe, Gordy's son, but also several other ex-teammates. Nine times out of ten, the hothead goalie was responding to some kind of perceived injustice. In the case of Chelios, the unpenalized hit on prop had set off Hextall, and in his mind, retribution was necessary. For Captain Dave Poulin, one of the lasting images from that tension-filled night is an interaction he had with Hextall moments after the Habs had eliminated Philly. There was Hextall, alone in the dressing room, having ditched the customary handshake line. We were walking the locker room and he was sitting in his corner. And I walked in and just looked at him and he was just looking at me. And then he said to me, what? I said, what? What do you mean, what? You just caused, <laughs> you know, havoc out there. It was like you know, an international incident. He goes, what do you mean? In that tone of voice. And I said, Hexy, you realize what you just did? And he said, oh, I just didn't want to shake Chelios's hand after the game. <laughs> I said, well, you could have skipped him in the handshake line. Like, you didn't have to start an absolutely, you know, ridiculous, but it was just his mentality, right? It was, it was no big deal. Game was over. He just didn't want to shake Chelios' hand. Hextall was suspended 12 games for the attack on Chelios. As the league disciplinarian stated in his report, even though there was no injury involved, Hextall showed a complete disrespect for the league in the game by taking it upon himself to extract revenge. It wasn't Hextall's first or last suspension either. In the 87 Cup final against the Oilers, Hextall raised hell by slashing Kent Nielsen. Something must have, yeah, here's something is. That's got to be ice, a, yeah. That's got to be a major penalty. Andy Van Hilleman has to call a five-minute major penalty. Hextall reared up with both hands. And Nielsen will be lucky if his leg isn't broken. That high-profile incident led to an eight-gamer, while in 91-92, he was banned for six games following a slash in the preseason. Opponents seemed to regard Hextall as fair game, taking liberties and stoking his temper because he rarely looked the other way. There's a video on YouTube titled Ron Hextall Violence. It's a three-minute mixtape that's been viewed more than 600,000 times, and it isn't the only glowing tribute in circulation. Curiously, Hextall might not have been able to get away with all these shenanigans in any other organization. The Bobby Clark Captain Flyers had made a name for themselves in the 1970s as the Broad Street Bullies, winning back-to-back -back Stanley Cups in 1974 and 1975. 
Hextall, Howe says, was a prototypical flyer fueled by winning. I wish I had a couple dollars for every time he busted a, a soda machine that was between the ice rink and the locker room. I've watched him take his stick and just mess up a few things. And I hated to lose. He hated to lose like an, to another degree. And it's his fiery competitiveness. He laid everything on the line. It wasn't just at the games. It was every day at practice. And that's the stuff that people didn't see. So, I mean, I think that's the thing I appreciate as much as anything was how competitive and how passionate he was. Players that have had tremendous success, guys that are in the Hall of Fame. I mean, so many of them are so talented and so skilled. But the only reason they're there is because they were passionate and they were competitive. And Hexy had those ingredients. There's one practice story from Hextall's first stint in Philadelphia that's become part of flyer lore. It involves Hextall, an overzealous goal celebration, and some retribution. Former NHL goalie and GM Garth Snow, Hextall's partner at the time, shares the gory details. I remember, you know, at the end of the, the practice, guys would line up at the blue line and do breakaways. Whenever someone scored on him, they would celebrate just to get on his nerves. They knew how pissed off he would get. Player defenseman Carl Dykos scored, and he's celebrating after he scores. He comes up the boards to Hexy, and Hexy fires a puck, and it hits him square in the face, bleeding out, stitches. And I remember Carl Dykos going, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> so that was Hexy. I mean, he didn't mean to hit him in the face with it. He felt so bad after, but he gets so pissed off, and he could fire that puck. He just ripped one and cut him open for six, eight stitches or something on a, on a game day. Just hated to be scored on. Even ex-teammates weren't safe from Hextall's wrath, according to former Islanders goalie Jamie McLennan. McLennan split the goalie load with Hextall in 1993-94, and on one night against the Flyers, he witnessed his mentor freak out on old pal Dave Brown. Hexy had his routine and warm-up that he liked to skate a certain way. He liked to skate over top of the face-off dot. And Dave Brown stood there because he knew Hexy's routine. And I think it pissed him off. So he fired a puck at him. All of a sudden there's this scrum and Hexy's frothing at the mouth and all hell's breaking loose. And I'm just kind of like, you know, what's going on here? I was just kind of standing there going, okay, am I going to have to drop the gloves or like, what are we doing here? But cooler heads prevailed at that point. But it was like, Hexy wasn't taking anything from nobody. Keith Acton, who shared a dressing room with Hextall in Philadelphia and New York, and also coached Hextall, went as far as stating Hextall could have worn the C for the Flyers. He was loyal, and his role extended far beyond stopping pucks, Acton says. He was very protective of his teammates. He remembers certain things that happened in games. If he could uh, initiate a payback on behalf of one of his teammates, that's who he was. There was a time when the players policed the game more than the league did. There was a changing of time when the league said, no, that's not going to go on anymore. Uh, the players won't police the game, we'll police the game. But I think uh, Ron would be one of those guys that preferred that, that the players uh, did the policing. And he was a good policeman, I can tell you that. The one thing that has impressed me, Hexio, the way uh, throughout uh, preseason is is your quickness with your feet. Uh, is was there exercises or things that you did uh, throughout your uh, young career that uh, improved your feet quickness, or is that something naturally? Well, I always tried to work on. You know, I'm a big guy, and that's usually the wrap on the big guy. So I've always worked on that. You know, uh, last year in Hershey, we worked on that a lot. You know, with my feet and and. Uh, 
right at the start of practice, about five or ten minutes. So I think that helped a lot. And you know, you got to concentrate on your feet just as much as your gloves, because you know, uh, probably 60, 70 percent of the shots are on the ice. Game days are sacred for hockey players. Everything has to be so orderly, from the morning skate and afternoon nap to the drive back to the rink and pregame routine. Since goaltending is the sport's most mentally demanding job, goalies tend to approach game day extra seriously. For Hextall, prepping for battle meant manically swaying back and forth in his dressing room stall ahead of warm-ups. Pads at his feet standing up on end, with his head down and eyes closed, he'd periodically spit into a trash can. If that image seems over the top, perhaps a tad strange, it's because it was. But, as Snow found out early in his time with the Flyers in the mid to late 90s, this routine was no laughing matter. One day, Hextall scowled at Snow after he accidentally knocked over Hextall's pads while walking to his own stall. Let's get dressed. And I'm rattled. I'm like, fuck, I hope he plays well, man. And uh, sure as shit, he, he gets a shutout. All good, never mentioned again. You know, a couple days later, we have another home game. Same thing, I walk past, whatever. Go to my stall. Obviously, take a different route. I don't even go near him. I set my stall. I start to get dressed. And he goes, hey, asshole. I'm like, what? Not going to fucking knock over my pads? What do you want me to let in goals tonight? So then that was the thing. I had to, I had to knock over his fucking pads every fucking game. He was so superstitious, you know? So I went over. I knocked him over. I fit, I fit him. And then the same thing. He's like rocking, spitting. He goes, asshole. <laughs> That's sexy. That pregame bit lasted two to three weeks, ending only once the Flyers started losing again. Out on the ice, Hextall would tap his goalpost with his stick in a highly specific, rhythmic motion. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. Then he'd get into a crouch stance for puck drop. Hextall craved an upbeat tempo to get the blood flowing. Hextall comes from a true hockey family. His grandfather, Brian, was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1969. A four-time All-Star, he scored the cup-winning goal for the 1940 New York Rangers. Both Hextall's father, Brian Jr., and Hextall's uncle, Dennis, played in the NHL during the hard-nosed 70s. All three relatives were forwards. In his minor hockey days, Hextall's parents encouraged him to try every position on the ice. And, perhaps, this late specialization helps explain why his big league toolbox was so vast. On top of toughness and size, he had such strong skating ability and possessed such advanced puck handling skills that he was labeled the original third defenseman. Former Flyers blue liner Jeff Chikrin breaks down the basics of Hextall's handiwork. He always knew that Hexy could stop the puck behind the net and we'd either yell play it or leave it. And if we yell play it, he's got it. And his head was up and he was looking for that winger on the hash marks or the centerman curling low. Was it part of our scheme systematically? I don't know. He could definitely see when we had too much pressure on us with the four check. Obviously, that's why a lot of goalies make good coaches. They're scanning the ice. So he sees it better than we do probably as we're hustling back to not get run over and, and sort of make a play. So he did a lot. He did a lot of it. McLennan, who nowadays covers the NHL for TSN, notes that Hextall completely revolutionized puck handling for the position. It's an accepted tool for the modern netminder, in part because of how Hextall normalized what was once considered taboo. McLennan recalls sitting on the Islanders' bench and charting how many puck touches Hextall would get in a single game, and how many of them would result in a successful play. 
he estimates most nights Hextall's success rate would come in at around 80%. Sometimes, McLennan says, Hextall would rack up 20 touches in one period, and he wasn't a one-trick pony. He'd go high off the glass and out, or saucer pass the puck across the zone, or fire it all the way to center ice, tape to tape, all while under pressure from forecheckers and using a stiff goalie stick with one hand stuck inside a trapper. That said, Hextall managed to make life a little easier on himself by spending some time with a blowtorch and handsaw. As he explains about his two stops in Philly, there was a special process a stick had to go through before getting greenlit for game use. Actually, our trainer back back then, Dave Settlemeyer, was really good at knowing what I wanted and the feel that I wanted. So he would check them out first and then they're on them by me. And if, if they didn't feel right, we'd send them back. And if they did, I'd use them or I'd use them in practice if they were a little bit off. The curve, the feel, I mean, it's, it really is no different than a player. I mean, you get you use your stick a lot and you, you do need to handle the puck. So I'd make the odd alteration as well if, if they didn't feel right or if I felt that the heel was a little bit too big back in those days they were wood so you could make the necessary adjustments it was important to me the feel of a, of a stick remember Hextall was an NHLer before Martin Brodeur who's arguably the greatest puck handling goalie ever and the man who inspired the trapezoid area we see today below the goal line he was pre-Marty Turco and the introduction of the Turco grip which involves a goalie turning over his glove hand to grip the lower part of the stick Without Hextall's influence, maybe Brodeur and Turco wouldn't have blossomed into puck-handling icons. And without Jacques Plante, Gary Smith, and a few other old-timers, maybe Hextall wouldn't have developed the courage to fully commit to the bit. Hextall was so smart and poised with the puck that teammates often passed it back to him, too. One opposing coach said he could have played the point on a power play. Speaking of special teams, Philly's penalty kill thrived during Hextall's two stints with the club. From 86-87 to 91-92, it ranked 5th in PK percentage. And then, from 94-95 to 98-99, it ranked 4th. The Flyers also scored 120 shorthanded goals over those 11 seasons. Oh yeah, the Flyers liked to flip the script on the opponent. Howe says they had full trust in Hextall's ability to clear the puck over everybody's head on a regular basis. When the puck was dumped in and we would try to read a situation, and if we knew Hexy could have a good shot at clearing it, you go from playing defense in your mind to let's twist it up. And the thing was, he was good enough where you didn't have to go, okay, I got to be conservative. I got to be conservative. You could be aggressive in your thought process. How a Hall of Fame defenseman, scored 28 shorthanded goals over his 16 seasons in the NHL. He credits 90% of his goal scoring to Hextall's ability to move the puck. Again, the match between team and player is key. Hextall had been told to chill on the puck handling by one of his junior coaches, but with the Flyers organization, first in the AHL and then with legendary coach Mike Keenan in the NHL, it was encouraged. Then, Hextall turned this talent into something truly productive. Something offensive. 
Well, let's get right to the goal since you were a contributor to the high scoring. Did you know immediately, uh, now that we take a look at it, did you know Peters was out? And maybe you can help us with this. Yeah, I looked just before Stevens uh, shot it in and I saw him going to the bench, so I knew he was going to be there. So I figured I might as well go for it. It'll give us a little more of a cushion. So I just let her go and she went in. Who was that that ducked in front of you? It was uh, one of your defenders back there. Who was that, you know? I think it was Wellesley. You know, I think he, he knows I like to go up the middle. So he, uh, he moved out of the way and let her go in. Humans are wired to want what they can't have. A dream job that's out of reach, a love interest who's uninterested, a giant bowl of ice cream at 2 a.m. when the lights are out inside every business in town. Scoring a goal in a real hockey game is the one tangible thing goalies can't have. Their job is to stop the other team from scoring, not generate offense themselves, right? Plus, there are only a few on-ice scenarios in which a goalie goal is realistically possible. Enter Hextall his sublime ability to shoot the puck, and a marvelous opportunity. Bruins come back, flip it from their side of center in on Hextall. He blocks Luck to shoot it to the open net. He has scored! Von Hextall has become the first player in the history of the National Hockey League, the first goaltender to actually score a goal. On December 8th, 1987, Hextall made history by turning a harmless change of possession into the NHL's first true goalie goal. With roughly 90 seconds left in the third period, and the Flyers leading 4-2, he bent down on one knee to stop a dump-in with the shaft of his stick. He canvassed the ice, glanced down to settle the puck, then whipped it all the way to the Boston Bruins' end. The puck slid past the goal line a few inches off the right post. Former Flyers center Derek Smith was on the ice for the unprecedented sequence. We know he's either going to hit one of us or he's going for that empty net. And sure enough, he sailed it over everybody's head, I remember watching it go over my head and, and went into the net, and I thought to myself, oh, my God, he finally did it. I cannot believe he finally did it. So everybody started celebrating. Uh, our whole bench, empty, cleared, jumped on the ice. They all went to him, and I'm looking. I'm going, somebody better get this puck. So I keep continuing down the ice. I go into the net, grab the puck. Dave Brown was the only one that kind of stayed with me hug me, and then we ch charge back to, to celebrate with Ron. It was quite, quite the thing. After the dust settled on the celebration, Philly was assessed a delay of game penalty. No team has ever cared less about a bench minor. Hextall admits now that it was a matter of when he would score, not if he could. That may sound cocky, but it was totally true. Hextall scoring a goal was inevitable. It actually ended up being a pretty cool event because my teammates were so excited about it and we end the ball getting a plaque of the game sheet. So in the end, I, I guess, you know, an individual thing to some degree ended up being kind of a team bonding thing. And it was uh, pretty neat, the reaction of my teammates. So I'll always remember that and uh, hold it dear to my heart. Then, two years later, he struck again. This time during Game 5 in the opening round of the 88-89 playoffs. Philly was shorthanded but up 7-5 late in the third when Hextall corralled a dumpin, curled around the net, and fired the puck over a sea of bodies. Hextall stops oh, it. Flip look out. down the ice. He's Will got a chance. It? He's got a chance. He's got it. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes. The first time ever it's happened in the playoffs. Ron Hextall with a minute and two seconds to go. <laughs> It is 8-5 to five in favor of the Flyers. Despite the quick start, two goals in his first three seasons, Hextall failed to record a third. 
Former teammate Brian Propp maintains the sharpshooting netminder could have scored a handful had he not adopted such a team-oriented mindset. Brodeur, Chris Osgood, Jose Theodore, Evgeny Nabokov, Mike Smith, and Pecorine have since emulated Hextall by shooting and scoring themselves. Brodeur, who has three tallies on his resume, is the only other goalie in history to score more than once. Now, technically, Billy Smith of the New York Islanders is credited with the first goalie goal of all time. However, Smith didn't shoot the puck. He just happened to be the last Islander who touched the puck before a Colorado Rockies' own goal back in 1979. Hextall's goals were legitimate. Poulin, who bagged 205 goals himself, told me, unironically, that Hextall had a better shot than him. To elaborate on Hextall's unique flair, Poulin shared a fun post-practice anecdote from the 1987 Canada Cup. It features none other than Wayne Gretzky. We're going to play a game of horse. And it's myself, it's Gretz, it's his younger brother, Brent, who's about 15 at the time, has come out on the ice after practice. And it's Hex with his goalie stick and goalie gloves. And so the first move that Gretz tries, and he gets to go first because his name was on the bottom of the shooter tutor, and those are his rules. He got to go first all the time. And he'd come around the net and backhand short, short side shell. Now, you're talking about a goalie with goalie stick and goalie gloves coming around the net and putting a backhand up into the top corner on the short side. So Hexy does it <laughs> and scores. And now we're, you know, the guys are howling, right? But he actually won the game and the winning shot was a wrist shot in the top glove corner from center ice. So to recap, beyond being no slouch in the puck stopping department, Hextall was insanely competitive. He was tall and athletic. He was a strong skater. He could make hard, accurate passes. And he could fire the puck with some serious velocity. Add it all up and could Hextall have been an NHL defenseman in the 90s? Is there an alternate universe in which Hextall is a stay-at-home tough guy whose number one responsibility is to patrol the blue line instead of the blue paint? Probably. Chikrin, the ex-teammate we heard from earlier, assumed this exact role for the Flyers and four other teams from 1986 to 1994. He acknowledges the Hextall defenseman theory, but overall says the one-of-a-kind goalie made the appropriate position choice. I mean, he's 6'4", he's athletic. His dad and his uncle both played the game in the National Hockey League, so absolutely he could have. The thing that's kind of underrated about him is because we always talk about his aggressiveness and his shot. I think he was a big-time puck stopper myself. I remember beating uh, Pittsburgh in uh, seven games uh, in the quarterfinals, semifinals. I think Mario had 10 breakaways on him in those seven games. And it was impressive as can be. I see Mario really trying to beat Hexy glove side and it was just a one-on-one -on -one special event to, to behold. I always felt like we were gonna have a chance to win with him in goal because I thought he was a big time puck stopper. From hockey and the athlete category, Brian Hextall. Brian Hextall began his hockey career back in 1931 as a member of the Poplar Point Midget Team. One year later, his Poplar Point Juvenile Squad won the Manitoba Championship. And in 1933, Brian joined the first ever Portage Terrier Junior Team. 
He turned pro in 1934 with the Vancouver Lions of the Western League and won the league championship in 1935. 1936 saw Brian spend one season in Philadelphia. The following year, the New York Rangers and Lester Patrick purchased his contract, and Brian Hextall's career in the NHL was underway. Ron Hextall was a third-generation NHLer. His son, Brett, played pro hockey as well. Clearly, elite athleticism is woven into the family's DNA. As for the origins of Hextall's trademark fieriness, Leah Hextall, the ESPN broadcaster and Hextall's first cousin, points out that it traces back to a no-nonsense woman who married into the hockey-obsessed family. I think the part that people do have to understand that the fiery side is not a Hextall quality. It's a lion quality, and that's my nan, Gertrude. My pops was quite quiet, you know, he went, unless he didn't need to be. But my nan was fiery, and she was ready to go, and she would tell you where to go, and she was a wonderful woman, but she had that fire. And, and that's where I actually think that comes within our family, but it just so happens to be named Hextall instead of Lion. <laughs> Leah's also keen to mention her cousin's soft side, how he was, and very much still is, a mild-mannered person. It's not a family bias either. That's the Hextall described by everybody who knows the man off the ice. Yep, despite the on-ice truculence, you wouldn't find NHL or Hextall partying all night or picking a bar fight. In reality, he married his high school sweetheart, the former competitive figure skater Diane Ogabowski, and he's long been considered a homebody. Separating the two versions of Ron Hextall has always been easy for teammates, coaches, friends, and family. Some rival fans, on the other hand, assumed Hextall was aggressive 24-7. That in his playing days, he was a hothead away from the rink, too. This, understandably, drove Diane up the wall. Shortly after the Chelios incident in 1989, she told the Washington Post that her husband's actions were being misconstrued. When people see an actor on television, do they assume the actor is like that in real life? Don't they understand Ron is playing a role on a team? She asked rhetorically. In 1996, Diane told Sports Illustrated Hextall was, quote-unquote, the absolute perfect husband and father, and that, at home, he wouldn't hurt a spider. I have to kill them, she said. Hextall maintains he took it all in stride. Criticism when you're in the spotlight, it's going to come. It's inevitable. So I personally never let that get to me. I think probably as I look back, I felt, you know, bad for my wife, my parents, they know who I am as a person. And when, when you get out in the ice there, I always felt like whether it was minor hockey or junior hockey or in the NHL that you were playing for keeps and you were playing to win and you did everything you could to, to win. Again, I felt for my wife and my parents, but as far as I was concerned, I didn't, I didn't pay too much attention to the criticism. Low-key, classy, methodical, those were a few words to describe Hextall's off-ice persona. In the dressing room, he blended in like any other member of the hockey club. He was, by all accounts, a typical teammate happy to chirp back and forth, if necessary. On Long Island, Hextall would engage old junior teammate and fellow 29-year-old Ray Ferraro. Hextall's smart-ass commentary combated Ferraro's continuous one-liners. On the ice, he was full of encouragement for those playing in front of him. Chikrin recently caught up with Hextall, and as the two Flyers alumni reminisced about going to battle together, he couldn't help but express his gratitude for all the cheerleading. And I said, you know, the thing I always remembered about you, I always felt like you had my back. Like, 
I don't think I ever had a fight in Philly. And I had quite a few of them where I didn't hear you yelling and screaming at me, you know, to sort of get them. That had an effect on me. I didn't want to lose, but I didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to let the teammate down, but here's one of our leaders letting me know that I'm doing a good job and not to stop and that sort of thing. Some guys are able to turn it on, turn it off. You see the, the, the progression from five o'clock to seven, but from you know nine in the morning till five, he was normal guy. Unprompted, both Snow and McLennan noted Hextall's influence on their careers. Goalie partnerships can get contentious, not with Hextall. He was a mentor and friend. Mike Eaves, an assistant coach on the 88-89 and 89-90 Flyers, who has bumped into Hextall here and there in recent years, brings up something even more profound. Hextall, Eaves says, possesses a distinctly warm aura. People like Ron, when you're with them, they have this unique ability to make you feel like you're the most important person in the world at that moment. What a gift. That's truly something special. They're in that moment with you, and they make you feel like you are the most important person. I want to know how you're doing. That's a gift. Smith, the Flyers forward who retrieved Hextall's first goal puck, bonded with Hextall over the great outdoors. They'd fish bass and hunt deer, duck, and Canada geese. The two Canadians, born less than a year apart, even starred in a few commercials for a Philly area sporting goods store in exchange for fishing rods, shotguns, and other gear. For a while, four Flyers... Hextall, Smith, Ron Sutter, and Rich Sutter lived in the same neighborhood in Marlton, New Jersey. Asked what Hextall was like as a neighbor back in the late 80s and early 90s, Smith busted out a Halloween prank story. I remember this one time, it was around Halloween, and somebody had put a mannequin out on their front lawn. I guess they were just getting rid of it. So we got this mannequin, Ronnie Sutter and Richie and myself. And actually had this big patio over top of patio doors off of his kitchen and he had his blinds all shut so we rigged up his mannequin we dressed it all up we put a hat on it we i think we put like this plastic machete in his hands and we tied it up so it looked like it was like standing in front of his kitchen window like ready to stab him when he opened up his curtains so we did that knocked on his door we ran away he came moved the curtain shut the curtain and we go what's going on like what's he doing Two minutes later, he's back with a baseball bat in his hand, swearing his head off, wanting to take this thing's head off, thinking it was a real person. We just had a lot of fun just doing pranks like that on each other. McLennan served up a tale of his own that underlined the fine line between the serious, dialed-in game-day Hextall and the easygoing, chill, off-day Hextall. Allow me to set the scene. It was early 1994, and the Islanders were in St. Louis for a date with Curtis Joseph and the Blues. A group of veterans, plus McLennan, a rookie invited out by Hextall, were waiting for their pregame meal at a local restaurant when the server leaned over too far and accidentally plopped a half-chicken onto Hextall's lap. Hextall, a conservative guy in regards to money and fashion, happened to be wearing a beautiful new suit. At first, he shrugged off the server's gaff as if it was no biggie. Then he sternly warned McLennan to be ready to take the net that night because he was livid. I was like, oh, like I kept thinking to myself, is he for real or not? You know what I mean? And, and then coincidentally, just things didn't go well that night. And I just remember backing up and I was behind Cujo, like way at the other side of the rink because that was the old St. Louis arena. And so the, the backup goalie didn't sit on the bench. I sat on a stool 
where the Zamboni came out and it may get three nothing. And I could see Al Arbor like way in the distance waving to me. So the doors open, I skate by and Pudro goes, good luck kid. And I like kind of skating down. In my mind, I feel like Hexy was like being carted off. He had started a scrum and the refs had grabbed him and he was like, you know, caught, kicking up dust. And like, I think we, we ended up coming back and tying that game 5-5. Five, five. But all I can remember was that day leading up to it wasn't the greatest interaction. And then coming in and Cujo saying that to me and, you know, just Hexy having an off night, put it that way. Breezebot cheating in, he's loose in front. Now he'll hit back, Canadians couldn't get it out in front, there they jam at it. Hextall with the stop. Kirk Muller came from behind the net that almost put the Canadians on top. As the 119th overall pick in the 1982 NHL draft, Ron Hextall certainly outperformed expectations by appearing in more than 600 games spread across 13 NHL seasons. But in terms of what we typically quote in barroom debates about the absolute best, cups, save percentage, wins, shutouts, Hextall's all-time great case is somewhat limited. Zero cups, 39th in wins, tied for 108th in shutouts, tied for 117th in save percentage. Those rankings don't live up to the hype generated by Hextall's stellar debut season. Howe recalls a private moment in which a young Hextall told the veteran that he was going to play only five seasons and become, quote-unquote, the best goalie this league has ever seen. I mean, we all go in with those thoughts, but I'd been around a couple years, and so I just kind of laughed. In five years, come tell me the same story, and I'll believe you. I kind of laughed at him. That's youth. That's enthusiasm, but... That that really explains how he approached uh, the game. Even after five years, like it didn't change. He still still wanted to be the best. Thank God he, he was able to play more than five years. It's hard to argue against that sentiment. Hextall's lasting impact on the goaltending position, namely the physicality, puck handling, and scoring elements of his playing style, wouldn't have been nearly as strong had his career been limited to a handful of seasons. 13 years is a long time to be a full-time NHL goalie and Hextall occupied a starter's role for roughly a decade. Still, Hextall arguably peaked during his rookie season. He finished top five in save percentage only one other time, in 1995-96. He was resurgent that season as a 31-year-old playing behind a loaded flyer squad led by Eric Lindros and the Legion of Doom line. Philly went on to make the 97 Cup Final, but lost four straight to the Detroit Red Wings. At that point, Hextall had finally escaped a mid-career swoon marred by soft goals in the playoffs, a laundry list of injuries, and three trades. He was part of the Philly-Quebec blockbuster that brought Lindros to the Flyers in 92. A year later, Hextall was traded to the Islanders. Lastly, in 94, he was shipped out of Long Island and back to Philadelphia. All of this transpired in what was supposed to be his prime. As Rush explains, Hextall was constantly at war with his body, after first injuring his groin in the late 80s. He blew out his groin. The way Ronnie played, he had kick saves. There's a stress on everybody's groin, but you know what you see? You don't see many as many groin injuries among goalies now because they don't drop in the same way. But when Ronnie got injured, it was a nagging injury that kept plaguing him and kept plaguing him. I mean, if it had been a bicep or a wrist, he would have overcame it, but I think that was part of it. Hey, I would never make an excuse for Ronnie. 
he doesn't need it. I know that the injury really changed his style and his just everything, his explosiveness. It just had a, unfortunately, an adverse effect on how he played the game of goal. At 35, Hextall retired unceremoniously. He had been passed over in the 1999 Atlanta Thrashers expansion draft and didn't have much left to give. The Flyers offered him a pro scouting position, which he accepted and transitioned into for the 99-2000 season. Since then, Hextall's crafted an enviable second career as a talent evaluator and manager. According to the man himself, there was no question he'd remain involved in the sport. I knew my whole career that I wanted to spend a, a lifetime in the game. I loved the game. You know, he asked my mother, she said I threw a sock up the stairs when I was two years old and stopped it at the bottom. So it was something that was kind of ingrained in me from the start. I did aspire to, to work in hockey ops, and certainly the GM is kind of the top of the hill there. Until I was done playing, didn't think a lot about it, but in the back of my mind, I, I knew that I wanted to be in the hockey ops department. Hextall learned the hockey operation ropes in Philly for seven years before taking an assistant general manager gig with the Kings in L.A., where he won a cup in 2012. He then returned to the Flyers two years later and after just one season was named GM. His approach to running an NHL team runs counter to his manner as a player. Hextall the GM, much like Hextall the off-ice family man, is patient, measured, and analytical. This temperament came back to bite Hextall, as he was fired five years into his tenure as Flyers GM, in part because the club's rebuild hadn't moved along fast enough. Now GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, the same team his father played for in the 70s, Hextall's back in an influential post. He's been given a second chance, and, in an interesting twist, has inherited his childhood idol's roster. Jim Rutherford, who resigned as Penn's GM in January 2021, was a teammate and close friend to Brian Hextall back in the day. The younger Hextall still has a Rutherford goalie mask in his possession. Rich Winter has been a player agent for almost 40 years, including five as Hextall's representative. Winter says his old client has evolved into a well-respected executive. Yeah, Ron's a very focused guy. He's very determined. He has a clear perspective of what he wants to accomplish. I find his personality in some respects off the ice to be similar to the likes, you know, the Stevie Eisermans where... You know, very studied, knows what he wants, has a clear view, has a game plan, no different than he had when he played. Those kinds of people, although, you know, I don't find very difficult to negotiate because they have a pretty good understanding of what their players are. And it's easier to get to value with capable people who've done their homework. And Ron's one of those guys. He did his homework in all aspects of the game of hockey, whether he was a player. So for him to be prepared in management wouldn't be a surprise. Hextall is the type of person who enjoys the process of building something, according to his cousin Leah. He just loves the challenge of putting all of the puzzle pieces together. He also has a strength and a resolve within himself that when he has a plan, he is not going to let somebody come just push him off of it. I think it helps, you know, at free agency. He doesn't react. That's different than what we saw on the ice, right? You know, he was a reactive player, but when it comes to doing the business of hockey, he's not reactive. He takes that moment of pause and makes the decisions when he needs to. And he has a plan and he's gonna stick to that plan and he needs people to buy in. And I think that that makes him very effective. And the last part of it is I just think he loves the game. Hextall has plenty on his plate in Pittsburgh, where the Sidney Crosby era is winding down. Really, 
it's too early in his tenure there to fairly judge his body of work as a GM. However, the case is closed on his own playing career, and he was a trailblazer between the pipes, a prototypical Philadelphia Flyer with an irregular skill set and short fuse. Winter provides a level-headed, 30,000-foot summary of Hextall and his legacy. I just think he should be remembered as one of the all-time great competitors who excelled in the playoffs, who carried his team and carried his team passionately at a level very few athletes in the world have done. He's one of those borderline Hall of Famers, of which there's many, and maybe a victim a little bit of um, the fact his team didn't have as much playoff success as perhaps um, you know, he would have liked. Does it make the top 10 list? Probably not. Does he make the top 100 list? Absolutely. Does he make the top 50 list? I think in a lot of respects, he makes that top 50, top 25 list. You know, he's one of the better goalies that ever played. That's pretty compelling. When Goalies Were Weird is a podcast by The Score. Nick Roy is the audio engineer. Nick Ferris is a reporter and researcher. Guy Spurrier is an editor and producer. And Rory Bars is an editor and the executive producer. Thank you for listening.